Hello there, this is Kelly Blake and today we'll be mapping psoriasis on the 15 minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on the clinical relevance of the functional nutrition matrix, the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. The matrix is so important not only because it invites us to stop and assess, but also because it reminds us of three very important factors in our care, our recommendations, and our outcomes. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with Kelly Blake. Kelly is a functional nutritionist with a private practice, NutriSense Nutrition Consulting. She's on the editorial board of Integrative Practitioner, where she writes monthly articles highlighting her client case studies. In addition, Kelly is the social media coordinator and blogger for Integrative and Functional Nutrition Academy. She has authored two books, The Psoriasis Diet and Psoriasis Cookbook and Meal Plan. Kelly, welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really happy to be here. Well, I can't wait to talk to you about the psoriasis and diet connections because this is so important for practitioners to understand. But before we go there, Kelly, we've got a lot to discuss on the matrix to help us understand the condition from a functional perspective. Can you just start us off by defining psoriasis? Sure. Psoriasis is an autoimmune condition. And while there are genetic components to people that have psoriasis, the majority of psoriasis is actually related to environmental triggers and increased intestinal permeability. Mm -hmm. So while there is a genetic component, it's not something that, you know, on average, if a patient has a genetic tendency to psoriasis, only 10% of the time is that going to develop if we don't have the other factors involved. Right. Makes sense. I like to think of this as the three roots, many branches to autoimmunity and all the things that you said there are part of the roots, the genes. Yeah, sure. But if the digestion and inflammation are not in check, that's when we see the condition arise. So When we talk about those genes, are there particular genes that have been researched to be associated with psoriasis? Yes, there is a gene. It's the HLA-CW6 gene. And that gene, if patients are obese that have that gene, they're 35 times more likely to develop psoriasis than a person who is obese and doesn't have the gene. If a normal weight patient has that gene, they're eight times more likely than a healthy counterpart to develop psoriasis. I was going to ask you also about other common comorbidities because I know you've identified that psoriasis can and often is associated with other 
metabolic or physiologic conditions, what might those be? Sure. So diabetes, metabolic syndrome, cardiovascular disease, psoriatic arthritis. So really any inflammatory condition can be associated with psoriasis. And when we think about the populations that are most impacted, is there any information like male or female or race or geographical location? Do we know anything about that? To be honest, I'm not sure. That is a good question. Yeah, I don't know if there was even anything about that, but we know autoimmunity is much more prevalent in females. And I have to say most of the people I've seen clinically with psoriasis are female, but I don't know what the literature says. Yeah, sure. So a lot of my clients are also female and, you know, autoimmune disease typically does affect females more often than males for sure. Can you talk a little bit more about the presentation of psoriasis and the most common symptoms that are causing people to seek out your support? Sure. So the classic, you know, 90% of all psoriasis cases are really plaque psoriasis. And that's where you have the scaly, silvery lesions that can really occur anywhere on the body. A lot of times that's on the elbows and the knees, but it can really happen anywhere. I personally had plaque psoriasis on my scalp, and that's another popular area. But you can really have different types of psoriasis. So there's erythrodermic psoriasis that is actually very severe, and that covers you know, 95% of the body, and it's life-threatening or can be life-threatening. And those patients really look like their skin is burned. Mm. They can't regulate their body temperature well. Large sheets of skin come off as opposed to just the scales with plaque psoriasis. Mm. Um, inverse psoriasis is where you don't really have the scaly nature of psoriasis, like plaque psoriasis. So there's no scales, but it's red and swollen and inflamed. Pustular psoriasis a lot of times occurs on the hands. And I have a patient right now that has psoriasis nowhere else on her body, but on her, the palms of her hands, which, you know, obviously is something that's very painful and makes things difficult, right? Nail psoriasis. So a lot of patients that actually have nail changes, develop psoriatic arthritis. That's a common association with psoriatic arthritis or nail changes. So there's several different types of psoriasis. But like I said, 90% are the plaque psoriasis where it's the dry, scaly, very itchy, inflamed areas that can come and go. And it's not something that, you know, may always be in the same area. It can pop up in different areas and disappear and come up in another area and disappear. So it's really sort of just like lots of autoimmune diseases, it's relapsing and remitting. You know, people can get control and then all of a sudden something happens and it's not in control anymore. So yeah, I like to think of this as managing our autoimmunity. I have Hashimoto's. It's not a popular word because people want to believe they can be in remission and we can be in temporary remission. But what we want to manage is the occurrence of the outbreak in terms of how often it happens and how severe it happens. And this is where our mediators, including diet, come in. And I want to get there, but I'm really just struck by the impact this might make on a person's mental state, moving to that mind, spirit, emotions, community arena. What do you see is the impact for people who are, you know, besides the pain and the discomfort, is there an emotional piece to this diagnosis? 
Absolutely. So we know with psoriasis in children and psoriasis in childhood, you know, used to be a really rare thing. But a lot of the psoriasis cases now are starting in childhood up to a third of the cases. And this really doubled over the last 50 years in children. And those kids tend to have higher rates of mental health disorders across the board. Adults with psoriasis are at higher risk for depression. And a lot of that has to do with the pro-inflammatory response that's going on in the body. Obviously, that affects the brain as well. And then just the mental aspect of having your skin on display for the world to see, right? My skin psoriasis has been in remission for several years, but prior to that, it was embarrassing, you know, and people you know, they may not even be looking at you in a certain way, but you feel like you're just on display for the world to see. And so there's a very mental health impact there. Right. Yeah, definitely important to note and hold that for our clients and patients. Let's go back to those triggers. You mentioned environmental triggers and gut hyperpermeability, and we'll talk about that in the central part of the matrix. But are you seeing certain particular triggers or life events, whether that's repeat antibiotics or certain types of infections that are common triggers for your patient population? I don't know if I can boil it down to just my patient population, but I know that there are a lot of psoriasis causes and triggers and people typically have more than one or two triggers going on. And so we know that chronic unmanaged stress, you know, can significantly affect immune function. And so that obviously can lead to a psoriasis outbreak or get you back into that cycle of inflammation. People that have excessive alcohol consumption, alcohol is something that really people with psoriasis really need to avoid because a lot of the research shows that any alcohol consumption and especially heavy alcohol consumption can trigger psoriasis outbreaks and can exacerbate psoriasis symptoms as well. Injury to an unaffected area. So people who have psoriasis that have that tendency, if they get a cut or a scrape, you know, on their skin, that can actually trigger a psoriasis lesion to form in that area. If they have prolonged and unprotected sun exposure, which, you know, I encourage my patients, obviously, to get out in the sun and enjoy and get their vitamin D. However, if it's prolonged and excessive, that is something that can trigger psoriasis as well. Mm -hmm. Smoking and being exposed to secondhand smoke is another trigger that we want to educate folks about. And then there are actually some medications that can trigger psoriasis, especially in people who have a genetic tendency or a family history of psoriasis. There are certain drugs to look for. So things like beta blockers and anti-malarial drugs and lithium and NSAIDs. You know, these medications can all trigger psoriasis lesions. And is that because of their secondary impact on nutrient deficiency or physiological function, or the medication itself is acting as a trigger? I think it's a combination. Yeah. Um, because we know that for the case of NSAIDs, you know, we know that that impairs gut health. And so that is also exacerbating that issue when it comes to psoriasis. People already have an unhealthy gut typically. And so we're just, you know, adding on when we add those medications in. And I think that that can exacerbate symptoms and cause psoriasis lesions to occur as well. 
That's a great segue into going into the central part of the matrix. I really want to touch on the gastrointestinal and the immune and inflammatory balance. So you've talked about the gut health and the leaky gut. Anything else we should be thinking about there when we're working with clients or patients who have been diagnosed with psoriasis? Yeah, so we know that people with psoriasis typically have lower levels of acromancia bacteria. And so that is a protective bacteria in the gut microbiome. So that is something to consider. And then we know that with psoriasis, it's a T cell mediated disease. And so there's a proliferation of Th17, Th1, and Th22 cells that actually increase the pro-inflammatory mediators that are secreted, obviously, that are going to be leading to that inflammation and leading into psoriasis exacerbation and, and lesions. So really helping to shore up digestion, make sure there's nutrient sufficiency, which is where I want to lead us next, but also calming down, clearing and calming that immune system because the adaptive immune system is, sounds like is on overdrive. Right. And so the body has lost the ability to determine friend from foe, right, in the gut. Right. And so that can all lead into excessive inflammation and exacerbate you know, any autoimmune condition. Yeah, well said there. Okay, mediators, diet as a mediator. What should we be thinking about when we're considering a diet for psoriasis? So when I work with clients, obviously it's very personalized and it's based on what's going on in their situation. So Bravo. Re- <laughs> right, the, the research shows that a modified Mediterranean diet is very helpful for people with psoriasis. However, I typically start with an elimination diet and eliminate lots of things that we know are inflammatory before I get a patient to their maintenance modified Mediterranean meal plan. So in that initial stage of trying to heal the gut lining and repair and restore function, I am recommending an elimination, full elimination diet. So we're getting rid of the dairy, gluten, nightshades, processed foods, soy, sugar, you know, all of those things, corn, grain-fed meat, pork, you know, all of those things that we know can cause inflammation in certain groups of folks. I really want to remove all of those things before we can get started on the work of repairing. Right. And that may, as you referenced, take a different amount of time for each individual based on where they're starting. Is that correct? Yes. And so I typically tell people, let's do this for four weeks, because I think that's a doable goal in most people's mind. And then once they reach four weeks, they feel so much better and they see the results. So they're willing to go for the extra four weeks. Yeah. For me, eight weeks is optimal when we're trying to work on reversing psoriasis symptoms. Yeah. Um, And they have to be, there has to be readiness for that change in order for them to engage. Yeah. I just say that because I know a lot of times students of ours in in full body systems go too quickly. So I love hearing Mm -hmm. from other experts like yourself and understanding like, how do we meet people where they are, go quickly when we need to. And sometimes we have to go more slowly to get there. Right. And by the time people find me, they have gone through lots of other things. And so they're willing, yeah, they're willing pretty much to do whatever they need to do, which is nice. Yes. Yeah. We find that too in our clinic, but that might be different for everybody. So I really appreciate that approach. So when you say 
a elimination diet, you mentioned some of the food categories that you're removing. Are there things that you're also conscious of bringing in that are supportive for the autoimmune terrain? Absolutely. So we really want to focus on those anti-inflammatory foods and get people really loading up on phytonutrients. So I tell my clients, I want you eating 10 servings of vegetables every day, right? I want you eating healthy sources of fat that can lower that inflammation. I want people to be consuming their omega-3s and hopefully Mm -hmm. they'll do that, you know, in a food-based form. I like fermented foods. You know, there's so many anti-inflammatory, wonderful foods that I try to add in. And people are pretty willing to try most of what I recommend, you know, specifically, but I'm really focusing on vegetables. I think that, you know, people are not eating enough vegetables in general, and that's part of why we have this abundance of inflammatory disorders, including psoriasis. And so it's really important, I think, to focus on those good, healthy lots of vegetable servings. Yeah, so important. Love that. And really bringing that up. So we're bringing in foods as we're taking out foods. I think that we're all guilty of getting stuck in the habit of eating the same foods over and over. So I really encourage my clients and I try to help them troubleshoot on how they can try new foods that they may not have tried before that can actually help with the inflammation and quieting that inflammatory response. So fish is a perfect option, you know, with the omega-3s to help lower inflammation. I also help my clients figure out how to incorporate more olive oil every day, which we know can be really helpful for folks with psoriasis. Mm, Beautiful. So Kelly, if we move over to the right side of the matrix, we're of course talking about nutrition, one of our favorite topics, but what else can we be thinking about and recommending for our patients with psoriasis? So with any autoimmune disease, there's just an altered response, right? Stress response. Right. So one of the most important things that I found with my clients is when we start to normalize that stress response. Mm. And so I will recommend a lot of times meditation. And typically just I start with, you know, a three to five minute meditation once per day, as soon as the patient gets up in the morning to get their day going and help to normalize that stress response. And then Mm -hmm. we'll add on as they get more comfortable with that, because many of my patients are not comfortable with just sitting down in a quiet you know, space and they've got a lot (laughs) going on. Little type A. (laughs) Right. They've got a lot going on usually and are just ready to hit the ground running when they get up. And so I find that just starting out with something simple like that can be really helpful to lead into other stress management techniques. Yeah. Beautiful. What about sleep? Yeah. So sleep is so (laughs) foundational. I mean, for everything, if if someone's not sleeping well, then that obviously is going to exacerbate other, you know, issues going on. So I like for my patients to create a bedtime routine. So we'll talk about, you know, hey, what do you do right before you go to bed? You know, within an hour, are you watching TV? Are you looking at the phone? Are you looking at a computer? And so I really want them to shut down for about an hour before bedtime and get away from that blue light and set a time where they're going to bed before 1030 p.m. (laughs) You know, a lot of my clients like to stay at their night owls, right? And so that just disrupts everything and makes it so much more difficult 
to tackle some of these other lifestyle strategies if someone's not sleeping well. So we'll yeah. just start with creating a restful, relaxing sleep routine and, and try to get them into the habit of just creating balance when it comes to sleep. Yeah, non-negotiable and also helps us with that stress response as well. When we're not sleeping, we're going to be in a more heightened and less resilient response. I'm really curious to ask you, Kelly, about exercise just because the skin is so impacted and the skin is you know, our largest detoxification organ. And so do you see patients having issues with exercise and sweat and the manifestation of their psoriasis? I do. And I've just worked with a client who was really, she loves uh, strength training and she has pustular psoriasis on her, the palms of her hands, which makes it very difficult. So, you know, finding alternatives for patients when they have an outbreak or they're having uh, a flare, alternative ways to move their body and to exercise without further aggravating, because it can be really painful to experience that. So I love, you know, strength training. If someone is able to do that, I think that's perfect. But also, I just like to get people moving. A lot of people that come to me are just not doing anything really. And so I'll start out with just, hey, let's do a 30 minute walk, you know, most days of the week. And then I try to add on from there and just kind of develop and change the plan based on if they're having a flare or if they're having something going on that's painful that we need to work around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I so appreciate all the information and your focus on psoriasis. Is there anything that you wish all practitioners knew to help more patients who are suffering with psoriasis? One thing that's very important to remember is that we cannot discount trauma and the way that trauma impacts people with autoimmune disease. So people who have childhood trauma and adult trauma are at much greater risk of developing any autoimmune condition. And so if you're working with a patient and they've made some great progress with the nutrition and lifestyle, those types of things, but they're still struggling, trauma may be a piece to think about and to refer them to the appropriate professional if you're not, you know, a trauma counselor or whatnot. I think that can really, really help because some people get hung up on, well, I'm doing all of the right things here, but I'm still having flares and I'm still having trouble. And it could be a result of, you know, a past traumatic event. Yeah. Yeah. So well said. Kelly, thank you for your brilliance and for all the work you do and for joining us here on the 15 Minute Matrix. Oh, it's been great. Thank you so much. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. Check out the latest in functional nutrition at functionalnutritionlab.com forward slash blog. The 15-Minute Matrix is produced, mixed, and edited by Rowan Bradley with production support from Natalie Merrill and the team at the Functional Nutrition Alliance. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified by email each week about our podcast releases, head on over to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. Also, please feel free to get in touch with us. We would love to hear your thoughts, your feedback, and who you'd like to hear next on the podcast. You can email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com. 